0: Welcome to the Health Tech Israel podcast. I'm Gali. And I'm Chen. And we hope you join us in our exploration of the Israeli health technology ecosystem.
1: Be inspired by Israel's thought leaders that bring to life incredible medical innovations that impact the lives of many with sheer innovation and a touch of chutzpah.
0: So, if you are into medical technology, leadership, and Israel, this is where you want to be. So, in this episode, we're speaking with Gilad Glick, who is the CEO of Itamar Medical. Thank you, Gilad, for joining us. Um, Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to, to speak with you. And today, uh, we have a, a set of questions, as we mentioned, around your journey, Itamar Medical's journey. I think we're going to kick it off with a question. And I think, Hen, this is your question. I think you should begin with with the first one.
1: Well, Gilad, you... Had an amazing career overseas, almost 20 years, um, if I recall, from Bioscience, Websters, etc., in a very serious role. Um, I saw that you came back like seven or eight years ago to manage Itamar uh, Medical. Why did you come back after such a long and prosperous career overseas? And what did you find when you came back?
2: what a deep and broad question um but yes you're right i left uh, israel uh, back in 97 after i uh, finished my uh, my army i was a uh, communication officer in a shirion in a tank division and uh, f- registered to studies in the technical university of eindhoven in holland it's a very very good technical university it's equivalent to the technion um, and f- looked for a part-time job. And the, I saw a small Israeli startup company called Biosense that looked for service engineers to install and um, fix uh, you know, their system in, in Europe. And I took the part-time job as I was waiting for um, the enrollment. And 18 months later, the company was sold for half a billion dollars to J&J. Um, and we started growing really fast. So I had all my studies on the job later on, all original plan was gone. But yes, I did spend 20 years with Biosense Webster as part of J&J, 10 years in Europe and 10 years in the U.S. And to your point, my last role for the audience to have a perspective, I ran worldwide sales and marketing for Biosense. When I left, it was $1.8 or $9 billion in sales annually. To date $3 billion in sales. Uh, so it's one of the largest uh, largest operating company of uh, J&J. Very proud of them, and I, I call it home. For, for a lot of good reasons, and uh, at one point in time, you know, I've also three kids, uh, all born and raised abroad. The older was uh, born in Paris, France, and the other two were born in California. And when the older became ten, became ten, you have to ask yourself uh, what we do next, um, because you know it's kind of a point of no return from a cultural identity. Um, and other things, and of course, you know, in in abroad, the, the at least from career perspective, the the options are better, and the economics is better. But, but I I was I looked around and I saw that um, kids of ex-Israelis who are growing abroad have an identity crisis later in their life. Most of them, yes, they don't know who they are. They're not really Americans. They're not really Israelis. They're not really you know they're Jewish, but they don't understand what it is because we're not. Orthodox Jews, so it's not as strong of a, a connection, and I decided at the minimum I have to give them an identity. So we packed and moved to Israel. Uh, is
1: laughing That's- because I like, bet you face the same issue, and I lived twice overseas, no, and, uh, and, yeah. but, um, yeah. but my parents always knew that they're going for four or five years, so they're returning. It is a dilemma,
2: isn't it? It's a dilemma. So... I'm very happy I made a decision. I see now that the American Jews and ex-Israeli those days are facing a tremendous uh, problem. They're not sure. I mean, people talking about, again, I think it's 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 maybe a speculation, but they're talking about, again, you know, the whole memories of the what happened if, to Jews abroad when things are unstable and people start talking about, you know, pre-World War II Germany. And uh, anti-Semitism, I'm very happy I made the the move. Um, And I took the job at Itamar already from there. And uh, so I didn't have even one day of overlap. Um, And your second question is, what did I found? This is a great question. First, I re-experienced, although I'm Israeli,s I was born and raised in Israel. I was here until I was 21 years old. I had a culture shock when I came back. Um, From a work perspective. (laughs) Deep, deep and fundamental culture shock. Uh, You have to get used to the Israeli culture again. There is a lot of benefits to the Israeli culture, but but there is some things that are challenging. And if I have to describe something, the biggest challenge was my first leadership meeting with my team. Um, I went in, I print an agenda, very thoughtful about exactly what we need to discuss, what the required outcome, what the objective were the speakers. And that stays pretty much on paper and the rest was one big chaos of everybody screaming at each other for 3 hours <laughs> um, and they thought it was a really good meeting in the end <laughs> of um, and it took it took long time to i think get for me get used to the benefit of open free and um, unrestricted discussion which has a lot of benefits but implement some structure so we can all talk not in the same time and listen to each other, actually, not just by appearance, and somebody takes notes and somebody follow up on the notes after. So that took time. But once it's done, the hybrid model of both was very, very useful for me. I think it's a great model
0: that's that's an interesting uh, uh, an interesting perspective, I think, because you know we went from hierarchy uh, and and I think that in kind of historically, uh, organizations were very hierarch had a strong hierarchy in them, and and the you know there's a manager somewhere in there. And I think um, I, I had a similar culture shock when I came back from the US and I, I went into a situation where I was looking for the person in charge. And I said, you know, who's the boss here? And five people said, I'm the boss. Um, so so it was <laughs> it was it was quite funny. But but I think to your point, there's definitely a shift and in, and um, in this uh, idea in in a, an organizational culture that you have to have an open door um, and try to to learn from every every generation and every person within the organization. So that combination of structure and and everybody feeling like they should be able to say what they want and what they feel um, probably is a, is a challenge, but also has a lot of rewards in it. So uh, so that that sounds that sounds like a very interesting. Uh, I would have liked to be a fly on the wall in that situation. Yeah. Um, and a and 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 actually the the first question i thought ken was going to ask was the first question we have on our list which is uh, what is peripheral arterial tone signal uh, which oh. i thought would have been an interesting way to begin but uh <laughs> but um i let, let's let's uh you know let's talk about it medical um and and kind of what what uh, what is it, Medical? Uh, let's you know keep this short because everybody can read so much about Itamal Medical. But you know, kind of a, a very short gist of, of what it is that you do and, and what um, what drives the company.
2: Yeah, so Itamar Medical again, dual listed public company, Nasdaq and Tel Aviv. But originally, it was a company created uh, by an invention by Dr. Peretz Levy, the uh, president of the Technion for eight years. He's, recently retired, but he's a sleep psychologist by training. And he found that in order to understand sleep and sleep diseases, in particular sleep apnea, you don't need to have that very complex, which is a standard of care in-lab polysomnography or overnight test when you hook a lot of EEGs and nasal cannulas and tubes and, and, and bands, but you can see it from the finger due to a signal called peripheral arterial tone or PAT. And he and others, uh, Dr. Sheffi and your, Dr. Giora Gio Yaron and Martin Gerstel, all our famous names in our industries, have uh, founded Itamar and, and, and invented technology to capture this signal and apply an algorithm to interpret it for a sleep test. So that's what they did, and they did an amazing job. And the technology wise, brilliant, really fascinating, actually, not cons change since they founded it until today. I mean, we added a lot of stuff, but the fundamentals remain the same. Um, and, uh, and Itamar started to sell, but very quickly they realized that it's difficult to sell in medical device, especially if the doctors you sell to don't like you. Um, and uh, that, you know, the sleep docs made a lot of money from those complicated in-lab tests, and they were worried that the in-home, very easy-to-use watch-like device that Itamar made is render them, rendering them um, unnecessary and threatening their income. So they fought Etemar. Um, and that ha- that that took years to realize. And the first thing I did when I joined, I changed the call point from sleep doctors to cardiologists. And that's changed the company DNA, changed the comp- company future, uh, you know, fortune, if you will. And um, I think made a big difference. C-
1: could you... Yeah, that's a, uh, I-
2: Could you maybe help us
1: understand the connection between sleep and cardiology? Why is sleep this important and to whom?
2: Yeah, great. To answer it, I'll have to speak 30 seconds on what sleep apnea is. Sleep apnea is a disease that is very prevalent. Um, One in four adults in the Western world suffer from moderate or severe sleep apnea. We know it by people that snore snoring is a symptoms of sleep apnea in most cases so you have a lot of people that complain or their significant other complain they're snoring um and uh, but the underlying mechanism is the inability to breathe properly during the night and that inability to breathe properly during the night causing a lot of things like intrathoracic pressure that stretches your heart large fluctuation in oxygen level, up and down, up and down, many, many times. And just to put things in perspective, because nobody choked to death from sleep apnea because the brain is so smart, it's waking us up. You end up with a moderate to severe sleep apnea waking up 30 to 60 times an hour. Mm -hmm. All night, every night, you're not even aware of it. You're exhausted. It's like a Shabak interrogation practice, right? I mean, it's really (laughs) bad. And in the end of the day, the outcome is scarring on the heart, on the cardiac tissue that causes arrhythmias, heart failure, and many other bad diseases, including stroke. But the connection was only recently found. So sleep apnea was used to thought about as a lifestyle disease: snoring, tiredness, go sleep in the coat on the co- on the couch, whatever. And that did not attract a lot of attention because it's a lifestyle disease. But once science described the connection to cardiology made sleep apnea a cardiovascular risk factor and we start calling on cardiologists of course it's become the equivalent of hypertension and once you're hypertension it's a different thing so and can i
0: can i take um so i think the the sleep apnea uh, story is is very clear and and obviously it's, that's a medical condition um, and i 'm going to take us a, a little bit to, to the right, I think, uh, and talk about sleep in general. I think that uh, the, the sleep has changed the branding of sleep has changed, um, so sleep apnea is a medical condition, but there 's so much around sleep and the connection to, to lifestyle and also other disease and and so I guess it in the in the world of, of sleep and prevention of disease um, that, that's been changing a lot um, where where do you see yourselves in that uh, in that news story um, and it, are you even interested in going into that space of you know what's considered now wellness more than uh, than you know medical
2: yeah, I think this is a really fascinating question um, I'll describe it in a broader strokes um, because I think it's applied to a lot of things Yes sleep has rebranded itself as a important Quality of life and health and wellness item like eat well, right, um, exercise, sleep well. It's the new paradigm of healthy people. Um, and some add and be relaxed, but good luck with that. So those are the you know three to four elements that we are all experiencing. And from a total care solution, of course, as a provider of sleep solutions, sleep is important. And by the way, sleep apnea is not the only sleep disorder. There is another large sleep disorder called insomnia. And that's when people are chronically defined as more than three days of inability to sleep properly in a row on a continuous basis. A lot of people uh, suffering from insomnia, we believe again, one in three adults suffer from chronic insomnic disease. They, they continuously exhausted, but unlike sleep apnea, they're aware that they couldn't sleep. So it's frustrating. Uh, you know, it's really something that people don't not happy with. And the problem with insomnia, unlike sleep apnea, the solution is either either sleeping pills, and they're either addictive or not working over time, and people don't like to take pill every day for the rest of their life. Or you need um, a psychologist to help you, and that's called CBTI, cognitive um, uh, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. It's very effective, but it's expensive. You need to see psychologists for, you know, seven to 14 times and you know, it's in Israel, it's three to 400 shekels a time. And it's an investment, it's not covered by insurance. So the short answer is wellness and sleep is important and it's not only wellness, it's actually sometimes a disease. And Itamar would like to provide a full solution. The problem is health economic in nature because there is no device to sell and there is no procedure to make, there is no money behind it.
1: Are you planning to enter the direct-to-customer space? I mean, the sole issue of you know selling directly your product, at the moment you're selling it directly, you're selling it through a prescription-based physician. Are you thinking of approaching and selling it directly to the end consumer as a complete package?
2: Yeah, The answer is yes, and actually we tried once and failed. I'll describe that in a second, and why do we, and now we try other ways. And I also would say that i differentiating DTC, direct-to-consumer, versus DTP, direct-to-patients. Those are easily confused, but not the same answers, and I'd like to differentiate for the audience between two. So what we've done initially, we about two years ago, we partnered with a company called Soclean, and Soclean is a private US company and they made devices to clean your CPAP, disinfect your CPAP during the night, okay? There is no reimbursement for it, so it's all DTC. And somehow they they embarked on that very successful strategy of using TV ads late at night, mostly at the shopping channels. When people snore and can't sleep or their partners snore so they can't sleep, they sit in front of a TV, mostly in the US, and they see this advertisement that if your partner uses sleep-up and then all kind of green germs coming out, very scary. And for 399, you can buy right now, operators standing by and created a $200 million a year company. So, amazing. So we partnered with them because they were demonstrated they can sell to sleep near patients, something $200 million a year. That's Intermar is only 40 million last, last year and potentially 50 this year, so four times bigger. And i said that must work colossal failure colossal failure didn't work and the answer was that if you have an insurance alternative to something it's not as easy to sell it didn't see as something that doesn't have an insurance alternative because patients get interested they go to google they check and if they see it covered by insurance they'll go to the doctor to get a prescription covered by insurance company so we failed um, What we're trying now, and it's working better, is digital DTC, not TV ad based DTC, targeted the right health economic, uh, sorry, the right uh, socioeconomic level, people that have the extra money to spend, they want the velvet service, and that's working better now. And in particular, we're working with a company called Lofta, which I made public, and they're San Diego based, and they're doing a good job. If somebody wants to see an example, that's a good example. That's DTC. But what I see emerging better is DTP. Companies like Livongo, company like Dexcom. And what they do, they get from an employer or from a carrier, an insurance, target mm-hmm. list of patients that potentially can qualify and they get ticket to license to convince them to embark on a program that is pre-funded by the plan or by the insurance. And look what happened with Livongo for diabetes. I mean amazing success something to be really envied and learn from and and that's i think it's a better option in the u.s healthcare system dtp than just traditional dtc Mm -hmm. i know it was a long answer but it's a lot of important information
0: yeah no i I agree Uh, i think that um if you keep to, if you want to brand yourself as a medical uh, device or a medic, medical solution, let's call it, I mean, the devices are no longer existing. now we have digital, everything. Uh, but if you do want to be a, a, a medical product, um, then then you still have to live in that world. Um, and And I think um, you know you have competitors such as Apple. Uh, in the wellness space so and and all sorts of small you know brands and you know large brands and and uh, uh, telcos and all sorts of uh, devices that are coming out that are just you know about managing your sleep so um so so it is it's it's a very complex market right now i I totally agree with you um I, i want to add that from from a european perspective the the payer side or the insurers um, th- there's also an opportunity there beyond uh, what we're seeing in the U.S. So, so uh, definitely an opportunity for collaborating and, and going to market. Uh, around that, what you're calling a DTP model, um, uh, and, and so I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, I'm I, um, I, I'd like to ask a little bit of you know some some maybe questions about the the company itself and and what you've done on on a business side. Uh, maybe we'll c- we'll come back to more personal questions a, a little later. But um, sure. first of all, Itamal Medical is public. Um, I'm curious to hear you know what you think about. Um, an Israeli company public versus a, a, a US-based or a European-based company being public and whether you think there's a difference in the way that the local and international market sees a, an Israeli uh, a public company. Um, that, that's one question. Um, I'm curious to understand how having a corporate partner so early in the, in the process like Medtronic um, has influenced the, the company uh, strategically and, and you know, as a culture. Um and and my last question is about your latest acquisition. So let's I guess let's take it in in uh, in stride. So first of all, you know, being a public company, um it, it's it's relatively rare uh, in Israel. Uh it's not a, it's not a common route. It's becoming more common. Uh why did you choose that and what do you think how do you think that affects the company um and and how does it compare to other IPO companies?
2: That's a very very <laughs> philosophical question. But first facts. Itamar became public in 2007 before my time because it was almost the only last resource for it to raise capital. And back then, it's changed now, but back then, company went public when they couldn't get private money. Uh, It was, um, you know, less question asked and less, you know, people sitting on your board and the, the chairman back, you know, still the chairman, Dr. Giorgio Aron, which I can confident, uh, uh, confidently state on his behalf, he said that's probably one of the biggest mistakes he ever made. Because once you have company public, and especially on the Tel Aviv stock exchange, and especially until a few years ago, it was a liability and not a benefit. Um, lots of overhead, very strict rules, from reporting perspective, from the Israeli uh, Security and Exchange Commission, uh, way stricter than in the U.S. Um, and uh, and very skeptical capital market that doesn't have analysts that specialize in healthcare, let alone in medical device. So you get compared to oil and gas, you know, exploration companies at the same breath, um, and that's the historical perspective. <clears throat> I must admit, though, that when I joined and I needed money for Itamar, the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange was very uh, useful and fundamental in us raising early money. And I'll tell you the difference, and I'll tell you what happened when we went to Nasdaq and why we went to Nasdaq and the difference. In Israel, I think, on one hand, everybody is skeptical and they don't want to give you big multiplier, that's on one hand. On the other hand, companies that are not as stable in predicting their future, have more chance to get to raise money. Um, in Israel, you can tell a good story, again, anchored in facts and have vision to it and everything else. But if you miss every third quarter or you give a gu- you don't have even to give a guidance to be, you know, to be covered and stuff like this, um, you, you still can raise money and you still can trade. Um, in the US, if you miss a quarter, you're dead. And if you miss two quarters, you're dead in the water, pretty much. So the big difference is maturity. I think it's good to be listed in the Tel Stock Exchange when you earlier in your uh, development stage, when still uh, your milestones and particular revenues are not as stable, but you don't get as nice as valuations, but you can raise money. Um, and you go to NASDAQ when you can predict and be systematic about your milestones and revenue and can give guidance and can be specific and meet it every single time. Then you get more money and better valuations. So I think that's the secret sauce here between Tel Aviv and Nasdaq.
0: Yeah, so it's a it's a different perspective based on where you're where you're traded, um, and you know in terms of uh, of the culture within the organization. You're traded on both, so you have to, you know, you have to submit to both uh, both requirements. But if you choose to be traded in Israel or choose to be traded uh, internationally, your your company is going to react differently, you know, internally. Um, yes. have maybe more more structure if you have to or you know try to hit your targets better Yeah, if and you're to your early,
2: and to answer your early question I think that in the end of the day um, you ask you ask an important question what Israel are they treating Israeli or foreign companies differently the answer is yeah. absolutely yes they don't they don't um, you don't get the same exposure a lot of funds big funds are um, having limitation to invest in foreign-based companies, uh, so you don't get the entire uh, uh, the entire spectrum of potential investors to participate in your in your offerings and in your trading. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can convince them you're U.S. oriented by mm-hmm. <clears throat> adding directors that are Americans or foreign in nature. You need to have partners that believe in you. You need to have most of your revenues in the U.S. That's super critical. A dollar from the U.S. is not equal to a dollar outside the U.S. for U.S. investors, no. in a big way. So those kind, some of the tips and tricks. There is tons more, but I think it's it's becoming too technical. So no, but it, this like was
0: good. I was going to ask you, ask you, you know, what what tips you have to, to a company who wants to IPO. So uh, I like go like to, ahead.
1: Uh, so I would like to add on the question that Gali asked about the acquisition of uh, of Spry. I mean, you like changed positions. You became an acquiring company. And um, there are many people that will be listening to this podcast who are smaller, younger companies who want to be bought. So maybe you can divide your answer into two. One, why did you buy it? Uh, What are you looking to gain out of it? And number two, what tips would you give to companies that want to be acquired by a larger company such as Itama or any other company
2: in their space yes first question i'll ask you guys technically can i share a slide is that past the possibility oh can i do screen and share do you know
1: um
2: okay maybe.
1: i do not know it's a new system can you see so my that? screen
2: yeah,
0: yeah.
2: So, i mean okay. something yes that's great so so you okay. can share a slide yes <laughs> Very exciting! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Better ask forgiveness than permission, right? That's a rule. Um, So, your first question was why we acquired Spry, and it was a strategic move. And the strategic move move was to change the future of the company from a testing company to a monitoring company. Right? Because they look around, and again, I used examples that are public and not Itamar. And you see what happened in the glucose testing to monitoring space when 10 years ago, all you had was to perk your finger and test the one particular time during the day, and it could be good timing or bad timing, into the Dexcom and Abbots of the world that do now billions of dollars in monitoring business, and that's the future. Um, in the space I came from prior to Itamar from Biosense, when we deal with arrhythmias, you know. 10-15 years ago, you had to go to the doctor to perform an ECG or an EKG, as we call it sometimes outside the US. Um, here, then the market shift to um, continuous home-based monitoring and latest, the latest and greatest is implantable loop recorders that keep monitoring you for three years and it looks like this and it doesn't have any valid and it's just something that sits under your skin and continuously monitor your arrhythmias. So I see where the world is heading and the world is heading to monitor patients and have wearables that are um, medical grade that reports continuously the condition. And we want to do the same for sleep apnea from a vision perspective.
1: Okay. So it's not like measuring one discrete point. It's continuously measuring over time
2: in order to give more valuable results. Right. And especially in chronic disease, it's it's an accumulative damage measurement. Right? I mean, it tells you that every time you were not managed for your glucose or for your arrhythmia or for your sleep, you just accumulated more damage to the tissue and that puts you in a different risk factor. So you can manage it. And that's, I think, where the future. So that's why we acquired Spry. Spry has a technology that is wristband that does uh, measure the similar signal that Itamar is expert from the finger, but from the wrist. And it's very difficult to ask a patient to wear something on a, fig- a finger for a month. Uh, they're not gonna do it. Fingers have a lot of uses. I will not go into the details right now. Um, and uh, wrist is something the patient can tolerate for a long time. So by acquiring Spry, and by the way for the record the San Francisco based company, the largest investor was Dov Moran with his, uh, with his fund. And the founder is an Israeli called El Ferber that was in Talpiot before, an Israeli space program. So there was a lot of Israeli uh, comfort, if you will, and that made things easy. And we just probably bought two to three years time to market by acquiring them.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, your second question
2: is, what small company should look for to be acquired? A lot of things. Uh, It's really, really the answer is really depends. But the most important thing is to um, I would say to really thoughtfully analyze who is your target. Who do you want to sell to? By the way, on the record, I'm encouraging companies to grow and to develop business and not to sell quickly because I think it's creating more job for Israel. It's creating more maturity, better valuation and the stock market, it, as long as the current craziness continues deliver better valuations to the employees and liquidity valuation, you can actually cash out without selling all your stake or being sold. I think that's a great alternative. But if you already decided you want to be, you know, acquired, which is, again, something I'll challenge, the most important is to analyze who you want to be sold to, realize what their strategic needs are, create the relationship to get it done, understand their unmet needs, and always remember, Large corporations prefer to pay more for more mature technology than to pay less for less mature technologies. Always. So you have to think about what the milestones you want to, you want to meet quickly in order to um, meet that kind of a that kind of a requirement.
1: We'll try and grow organically as much as you can
2: before selling out. Yes. And that's something they like. I mean the concept that <clears throat> They will want to buy us because it's earlier and cheaper is, is not true for large multinational corporations. They want to mitigate the risk on your, on your dime and their, and their reputation and buy you for more money when you're... when they de-risk most of the technology, they de-risk most of the... I want to give you an example. You know what? This is great. In the last months, there was a complete craziness in the world of home ECG holders right? So, two months ago, Philips started by acquiring the largest player called Biotelemetry for $2.8 billion. Followed quickly by Boston Scientific buying, buying another company uh, for a $1 billion from the Volta Monitoring. And then, Bill room, because they left, they felt, cre- no, they left out, they bought Bardi for $400 million. A week after all that was announced, reimbursement went down 70%. He <laughs> canceled the deal. I, with them, dropped from $6 billion to $4 billion in valuation. Um, Philips, I think, are still walking in circles asking themselves what they've done. And there is, no reco- there is no comment from Boston. But this is a typical example. Just happen. You can trace all this back. Um, just what happened if you don't understand the maturity of the market? You make a big acquisition and then value evaporates overnight and i tell you all those bd guys in those corporations are re- rewriting their CVs as we speak must be the case
1: yeah I need a little bit of luck so we're about to 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 finish gali would you like the final question maybe yes
0: yes i would um <laughs> actually um Obviously the the COVID uh, pandemic has had a huge effect on uh, on Itamar Medical. I don't think we need to go into that, uh, you know, the home care uh, setting. Um, Can you share a little bit how it's affected you personally and and kind of how you've been working within the the company uh, as a consequence of COVID?
2: Yeah, it, it did fundamentally. So prior to COVID, I spent since, June of 2013 until March of 2020, every other week in the U.S. One week in the U.S., one week in Israel, and every other time, even in Europe and Asia. So I was 60 to 70% of my time not at home. Wow. And it was very, very important to connect with customers, connect with partners, do the non-deal roadshows and the deal roadshows on Wall Street and all the other cities. It was a requirement to proceed I mean, if you don't want to live in the US, you live on a plane. That's pretty much was the paradigm prior to COVID. And then COVID hit and I couldn't fly anymore. And in the beginning, it was freaky because I didn't know how we're going to do all those things without running up and down in Wall Street buildings and running in and out hospitals and make, you know connecting with partners and having those dinners that the informality takes place. But somehow it all worked out. Bankers suddenly... Are you know instead of wasting most of the time shuffling in you know trying to get a cab or a uber or a limo and driving up and down elevators and spending all of your time you just do back to back to back to back 20 meetings a day with funds and it's I raised money I raised 80 million dollars you know full on without leaving my hertselia office uh, or my hertselia actually home office to be real honest um, <laughs> And, and it, it works. So there was a paradigm shift that suddenly you keep connecting, you keep accomplishing, you can communicate effectively. I think I still miss the face-to-face. But once that paradigm is accepted on both sides, you can get things done. And then I have three kids. I said, that's why we moved back to Israel. And now I'm a year in their life. And it's priceless. And if you ask me if I'll ever go back through every other week for six years... The answer is probably no.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. That's well, great. Sometimes you just plan, just like
1: those analysts, plan for whatever and things just happen. And you can see that yes. you know, it's okay, life goes on. Well, l- listen, thank you so much for your time you spent. Um, I want to ask what is next for it, but I guess that 80% are still undiagnosed, so... You still have a lot of work to do and traction to make, not only in the U.S., but internationally. And um, we wish you a lot of luck and thank you for spending um, some time with us.
2: Khen and Gali, it was my pleasure. Always happy to talk to you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank
0: you.